This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's John Bank Centre for Astrophysics. For more information, see jodcast.net. Hello, welcome to the Jodcast interview. I'm Michael Wright, and across the table from me... I'm Lena Sin from the University of Leuven in Belgium. So, brief introduction, who are you and what do you do? So, I'm professor at the Leuven University, and there I have my group of students, and we are working on several programmes. One of them is uh, focusing on old stars, on evolved stars, and then I have a few of my students who are working on exoplanets. But today I'm here in Manchester to continue our research on these old stars. Can you briefly explain what your research is on these stars? Okay, so the focus of that research is, we all know that when stars are born, the parameter that determines their evolution is their initial mass. So we are focusing on stars that have a mass between 0.8 and 8 solar masses. So as our sun, so they are low intermediate mass stars. And after the main sequence, these stars will increase their size. They will become red, red giant stars. So they will become much cooler than what they have been when they were at the main sequence. And they will become much larger. And during that phase, they develop a stellar wind. But take into account that often there is a little bit of a confusion. The stellar wind is not as a wind that happens on our Earth, which is circling around the Earth. But the stellar wind you can compare a little bit with a rocket that is launched. So it departs from the surface of the star and it puts material from the star into the interstellar medium. So it's a way of removing material from the star. And the focus that we have here, and also why I'm here, is really trying to understand the strength of these stellar winds, since it is that strength of the stellar winds that determines how long these old stars will live. And we wish to understand how do these stellar winds, how do they start? When do stars develop as stellar winds? What's the physics behind it? What is the chemistry that is involved? So that is roughly the focus of that part of the research. The first bit of the research then is clearly going to be getting the data for this. So how are you going to get that? What are you going to use? So we have already a lot of data. These stars have been observed for decades. But as of 2011, we have a big focus on ALMA. So the 66 telescopes that are working together in Chile. ALMA in general is an incredible instrument. As we have gained a lot of insight thanks to its enormous spatial resolution that allows us to really look with very much detail into these stars. And so with ALMA, we have, as of 2011, we have received the first data sets of some of these evolved stars. But you will realize there are many stars, first of all. Secondly, getting this ALMA observing time is not easy. People should realize we have to write proposals for that, and only a fraction of them is accepted to be effectively executed. And so we got, indeed, we are lucky to almost every cycle, we got one star observed in one specific frequency band. But last year, together with the help of some people here in Manchester, but also other people in Europe and the US, we have written a huge program. It's called an ALMA Large Program. Its acronym is ATOMIUM. I'm from Belgium, so it has a specific reason. And with ATOMIUM, we now have some 113 hours of observing time to look to 17 stars in a homogeneous way at the same frequencies. And that will help us 
enormously in understanding how the stellar winds arise, what is happening, and all bites, and I cannot say too much yet, but we are here to work on the data reduction, we are here in Manchester to work on that, but we got already the first data arriving as of October 2018, and it's marvelous what we see, it's really marvelous. We are absolutely sure that it will change our view completely on these stellar winds. I think some of you who have been walking around the last few days have seen marvelous images on our screens, and this really opens a completely new window. They do indeed look wonderful. Since up until now, these old stars, sometimes you can compare it a little bit with just with society, but these old stars stars were seen as being old-fashioned and very boring extremely boring. Who wants to look at old stars? And it's the same when it comes to press releases and things like that. People think, oh, why issue a press release about an old star when I'm trying to issue press releases for exoplanets? It's much more easy. But I hope that finally people will accept that these old stars, they have a lot of wisdom and we should understand them if we want to understand what's happening in the galaxy. We should. So then you've talked about looking at old stars, but you picked from them, 17. Yes. How did you choose which ones you wanted to look at? So you would like to choose your pet objects, which is not a good way of doing sciences. We were also, we know for a large program for ALMA, roughly something as 100 hours is acceptable. So we are now a little bit beyond that. And so that gives already first indication on how many stars can we pick. Say roughly 20. And then we have chosen that once in a scientific way. I mean, we have tried to sample some of the important parameters very well. Then we have taken the stars that are as close as possible to Earth so that they look larger, so that we gain in spatial resolution in what we can observe there. And so we have, for that, we have used databases, astronomical databases. We have put there our requirements And that gave us the filter towards these are the stars that we will look after. And some of them are indeed objects I did know already beforehand, but some of these targets I have never watched before. We see indeed it is that way of trying to, as good as possible, homogeneously sample your parameter space, which is important to do your sciences. Okay, so now you have what you're using to observe and you have chosen your stars. What particularly about those stars are you looking for? We are looking for the morphologies of these stellar winds, and we are looking for the chemistry. And why does this look to very basic things, but they are not? For instance, looking to which molecules are present in the stellar winds will tell us which dust species are formed, since I haven't told you that yet, but these stellar winds are thought to be driven by newly formed dust species that form just above the stellar surface. So these stars are variable, so they change in time, so they're sometimes a little bit larger, a little bit smaller, not too much. But when they are pulsating, and they're a little bit larger and cooler, you have perfect conditions for these molecules to condense into dust grains. And these dust grains, all by small, around 100, 200 nanometer, they are still considerably larger than these very tiny molecules. So what is happening then is that these dust grains can interact with our stellar photons, which act a little bit as a force on the dust grains. These dust grains can get accelerated outwards, 
And while they're doing that, they're colliding with all the little gas species around it. So not only the gas is moving away, also the gaseous species. And that's the cause for our stellar winds. So what are we now doing with that chemistry? Well, we still do not know which will be the first dust species that form. I can, if you would ask me the question, Lynn, what will our sun do in 4.5 billion years old when it becomes a red giant? What will be the first dust species? What will be its mass loss rate? What will be its velocity of the wind? I cannot tell that to you. I wish I could, but I cannot. And I cannot since I still cannot tell you which are the first dust species that are formed. That's one of the goals of that large program is understanding and waveling which molecules will transition into this first first dust species. Where does that happen? I mean, in terms of with respect to the surface of the star. And what type of wind, what will be the strength, what will be the velocity of the wind? This is what I wish to understand. That's one of the goals. So I want to understand the wind launching mechanism in these evolved stars. And for that to understand this, I need to understand the chemistry. That's one of the goals. It's a large program, so it has many goals. Yes, I was about to say, what other goals are you pursuing as well as this? We have looked already at a few stars, let's say a handful of stars. And from that handful of stars, we see a lot of intricacies. I refer now to a press release that will come out in two or three weeks' time. We hope it's a paper accepted for Nature Astronomy and Albert Selstra, for instance, from Manchester University, involved as well. So what do we see around some of these stars is that the stellar wind is not homogeneous, but we see spiral structures around it. These spiral structures are caused, we think, by the fact that the star is not living alone, but has a binary companion. And if you know a little bit about stellar evolution and binaries, well, you know it already from the laws of Kepler, that even when you have a planet and a sun, the planet will move around the sun. But as a consequence, also our sun moves a little bit since it feels attraction. And also our sun is making a little circle. So what is happening now? Now you don't have a planet. You, for instance, have two stars equally mass. Your primary star, which is this old star, which is losing mass, will also wobble around its center of mass due to the fact that it has a binary companion. And then you see, when it's wobbling around its center of mass, meanwhile losing material, you almost can envision that that wobbling around the center of mass will affect your stellar wind and will create a spiral. So this is for some stars. We have seen spirals in the stellar winds, which is then the indirect indicator that you're not living alone, but that you have a binary companion. And so what will be the press release about is that, first of all, we have indirectly detected these binary companions around two very old stars, but they were thought to have extremely high mass loss rates, the highest mass loss rates that one ever have found, around few times 10 to the minus 4 solar masses per year. And we now have proven that we were wrong. Scientists were wrong, since we were interpreting the data as being, oh, these stars live there alone. But when you know that they are binary companions, then you do some simulations, you can show that our mass loss estimates were wrong by one order of magnitude. So these stars were thought to be the record holders of the mass loss rate. 
And now we have dethroned them. They're not anymore the record holders. They are just old stars which have a normal mass loss weight. We were wrong, and this is an important result. As a consequence of our results, we can tell you that old stars will live longer than what we thought they would do, which is a very nice result, I think. That's a very good thing to hear. Could you give sort of an estimate of how long those stars might live? Well, stars in general live billions of years. The stars that we're talking about. And now I'm just focusing on this last bit. That last bit takes a few million years. But even there, there's quite a bit of a change depending on your initial mass. The lower your mass, the longer you will live. So it's a very tough question to answer exactly with numbers. But... Generally, we can now say that they will live longer by a few million years. But that will change depending on the initial mass. Okay, then that was a lovely little introduction to what your project is about. And I think that should bring us on to what are you doing here in Manchester? What's the goal of coming here and working with us? The goal is very obvious for me. Here in Manchester, you have the experts to look at the ALMA data and the reduction of this ALMA data. So Anita Richards, one of my main collaborators here, is the person with whom I have been working already for several years. She's an expert on ALMA data and she's an expert on evolved stars. So the best place to come for my ALMA data is here. And I have ALMA nodes, as they're called, closer to my home place, closer to Leuven. But they do not have these evolved stars experts with them. So it's much better to collaborate with people who are both expert in the ALMA data and who are intrigued in the science that you can do with that. And Anita is brilliant. So we are here now, and I think we are here today with some 15, 20 people. That's almost half of the consortium to work together on this ALMA data. Since people will not realize it potentially, but this ALMA data take a lot of storage already here at the Manchester University and we will need to buy a new storage place since it's over a few hundred terabyte of data that we will gather. That's enormous, a few hundred terabyte. And then we are a little bit nervous since when you receive the data, they are only private for you for one year, and then they come into the public domain. This means that other people can work with this data as well, but we want to be the first to have the nice results out. So we are now here with 15 people. We are instructed by Anita how we should improve the data reduction of the ALMA data. And we are a little bit nervous since these data cubes are huge. It takes us always a lot of time before they load onto the desktop before we can proceed to the next step. But it's only when you're with a lot of people together that each of us can now focus on another star and so that we progress in this data reduction since it's impossible for Anita to do that alone. It's too much manual work. And now we are here doing that together with 20 people. Sometimes one of us has a problem, but then we have Anita close by to help us solving that. And I hope that by the time that we leave, already for a fraction of the data that we have received. We haven't received everything yet. The data is coming in step by step. It will take us more than one year before we have all data. But we have already the first data. And that is why we are here doing this data reduction. And then later on today, we start also the science discussions, since we have seen already some very nice results. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoy your time here at Manchester. I will. Thank you.